Tuesday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie that's ever been made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Chris Henry of the EAA Aviation Museum in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And uh, we're, we're back together, hooray. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I, I felt like I was leaving you a little bit like Jack Swaggart there, uh, ah. uh, you know, just uh, left you hanging as I vanished into the air show here. Yeah, well, we didn't we didn't miss an episode, so I feel feel good about that. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're, catch, we're catching up. We did uh, we did take a week off of hiatus because it was just between my flu and your uh, 900,000 of your best friends uh, showing up in Oshkosh. <laughs> uh, things got a little bit hectic, but I think we can uh, we can catch up and uh, we're back where we where we left off. We're at uh in the simulator, and uh, Jack Swigert has uh, uh, actually burned them all to a crisp, so <laughs> he didn't do too well on this uh, simulator. Um, I'm glad that we I'm glad that we talked with uh, with uh, Fredo with Fred Hayes uh, in, uh, episode last week, where uh, he talked about how this isn't really how it is, but they kind of had to stretch the narrative a little bit to make sure that uh, that that there were storytelling cable. You know, it, it wouldn't be that interesting a story if you said, okay, well, Jackson, and it's just like old times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, and I think that speaks to the professionalism of the crews, that, you know, they would be able to take some, maybe some adverse conditions and just be such professionals about it that in real life they just went with the punches and went with it, where uh, when a movie producer comes in to make a movie, it's like, well, we got to jazz it up a little bit because you guys, you know, you were throwing speed bumps, but you just smoothed them out so well that, you know, we have to kind of bring something up to be a little bit dramatic. Yeah, this, especially, I mean, in, in the way that Deke handled these things, um, he had a very good relationship with Jim Lovell. I mean, it, it wasn't very, con- it wasn't contentious at all. When, uh, when they had, uh, Put down uh, when 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 Deke had put down uh, Shepard to command the next available moon mission, which was Apollo thirteen. Uh, the assignment would normally have gone to Gordon Cooper, but Cooper didn't bother with um, with training and stuff like that. So so they pushed Slayton had a bunch of difficult decisions because they were both you know Mercury seven astronauts. But he pushed Cooper out of the way because he wasn't doing the training and sticking to the schedule and put uh, uh, Stu Rusa in as the uh, command module pilot. And, you know, I mean, all the stuff that was going on while, while this was happening, that they don't really they don't really cover except they mentioned that uh, that Shepard's Meniere's disease had had come up. But there was a lot of difficulty. They wanted to like Slayton wanted to have uh, experienced crew going to the moon and. He was originally going to have McDivitt, but McDivitt said that uh, McDivitt was going to replace uh, Rusa because he, Rusa was a rookie. Um, but McDivitt said no; he didn't want to go with Shepard because she- Shepard didn't have sufficient Apollo training. So the whole personnel changes that were going on, uh, Deke reached out to Lovell because Lovell had the experience of going to the moon and he was familiar with the Apollo systems. And the way they tell the story is not, I mean, you know, of course, it's not how it happened, but, but Deke trusted uh, Lovell's decisions on how to, how to change the crews. And, and he trusted the backup, he, you know, he, he trusted his backup crew. So there really wasn't a problem with Swigert. It was more worried about how they were going to fill in the, uh, the Apollo 14 crew. And Apollo 14 really didn't, I mean, although Shepard's Meniere's disease uh, cropped up, the reason that their whole crew got moved aside was because there wasn't any training and there was a lot of uh, personnel changes in who was going to be in the crew of Apollo 14. Um, but 
I guess it would have been a five-hour movie if they had to do that. <laughs> it would be a miniseries. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think that uh, what what really came through there was uh, Deke's closeness to his astronauts allowed him to make educated crew assignments, if, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. Um, because he was so attached to these guys and he you know, he knew so much about them and knew each one that he was able to really put, you know, crews together that worked well together. I, I can't think of a crew on the Apollo missions that didn't work well together. No, I mean, he was, he was really like a, you know, more like a Vince Lombardi or a, a yeah. Tom Landry kind of a guy. He was, he was the coach of the team, and he picked who was going to play what position, and he knew what their strengths and weaknesses were. And the, I mean, the important thing about it was is that, I think all the astronauts understood that Deke wasn't playing favorites. He was picking the best people for the best crews, you know, how, how they would line up, and, and they'd have a, a mix of the, the rookies and the experienced crews. And trying to keep away from uh, an all-rookie crew was, uh, was what he was doing in, in most of his, uh, his personnel assignments. Kind of the ultimate fantasy football. Yeah, playing, exactly. Playing with these amazing astronaut names, putting them on schedules. <laughs> and. Yeah, and I mean, none of these guys were bad choices, but he wanted to, he wanted to make sure he made the best choices. Um, one of the things, just just from a production note, as I'm looking around where they're filming this, I keep thinking they must have filmed this in like a, a Sears Automotive Center or Firestone, because <laughs> there are so many of uh, those Snap-on tool toolboxes in the background. <laughs> I, I was thinking they don't really need that many uh, th- that many toolkits. <laughs> The uh, I, I could I could speak to that in aviation. Okay. Uh, there are two choices in aviation, and that's uh, snap on or craftsman. Yeah. And um, as a matter of fact, when I went to school for AMP, uh, airframe and power plant, uh, that was exactly it. You had the choices of snap on <laughs> and craftsman. So, uh, aircraft mechanics are very proud of their snap on tools. I can I can tell you that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I I don't know. You know, this might have been in a hangar or something like that, but it's a. <laughs> It's an impressive and well lit. I mean, they have this is some of the best lighting of any. I've I've worked in simulator buildings, and usually it's the worst lighting ever when you're. It's all kind of gray. Yeah, there, yeah. You it's know. just you have those those big um, uh, utility lamps, the big fluorescent lights, and there's usually a gentle buzz going on because you can't reach the ballast to replace it. Um, but yeah, none of this. This I mean, this thing is lit like a restaurant. Um, I had a little bit of uh, of time in simulators, actually. Of course, not. Apollo command module sims. Uh, but uh, when you go through school to be an air traffic controller, you spend a lot of time in the simulators. And I can only imagine what it would be cool to like fly the, you know, how cool it would be to fly the command module sim. Um, but we spent a lot of time in radar room simulators. And and um, yeah, I can tell you that they, uh, you know, they like to throw everything they can at you in those sims and really get you seeing a lot of stuff that some of it you'll probably never see in the real world, but some of it you will. And, uh, uh, you know, you, when it when it does happen in real life, it's because of those sims. You kind of just you go with it. You've seen this before, even though you haven't seen it in real life. You've you kind of played the scenario out. And uh, um, so when I saw this uh, this clip again, it kind of threw me back to those radar simulator days after seeing uh, you know some of the sim stuff here. Yeah, I I can remember um, we had uh, we had uh, bought equipment from Red Diffusion. Uh, British Aerospace had a, a BAE-146 simulator and a Jetstream 3141 simulators. Uh, there was even an Airbus simulator, and they had things like smoke smoke bottles that they, you know you'd have to uh, oh, wow. don a mask and stuff, and it would just fill up with. Uh, I'm not, I think it was some kind of an oily smoke that they blow out, and then they'd have the fans and 
<laughs> well, we didn't have that in the radar room, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I think if you started seeing smoke and flames in the radar <laughs> just, room, it's just leave, get yeah, out. <laughs> close the center and get out of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it yeah, it was, a, it was a fascinating thing, and uh, the equipment just kept getting better and better. Most of the during the time that that I worked around Sims was mostly in the late '80s and early '90s, and uh, I could see the change as it went from you know just kind of a general digital. Evans and Sutherland made a lot of the the digital simulators. Um, but most of them were done for night or for rain because for for one thing that would that would be a more difficult flying pattern because you didn't have a lot of VFR uh, to uh, base your you know landmarks on stuff. But the other thing was it was incredibly easier. It was incredibly much easier to uh, uh, to do nighttime and to do uh, clouds because there wasn't a lot to uh, generate in the way of graphics. Um, wow! But, yeah, uh, it just all be gray out or dark out, and you know, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, not yeah. not a lot, not a lot of choices on our airports too. Since we were in the uh, we were in the greater Dulles, Dulles area, we had Dulles Airport, we had BWI, and we had uh, uh, National at the time, and now Re- wow. Regan Airport. Um, and you could you could fly approaches on all of those. And it, it, for the time, it felt very realistic. Um, they they even used to have uh, some of the company uh, they they had like an employees uh, club and. Uh, the British Aerospace would give would raffle tickets so that you could uh, uh, spend time on it. You know, they give you like an hour in the sim. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> it, was, it was like going to Disney World. So uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot of fun. And uh, if I can, I can say if, if anybody has the opportunity to get into these sims, it's it's well worth the time. Although you know, nowadays you can build. I've seen some. Oh yeah. Some projects where people have built their own little cabins, and it's you know, it has the. Uh, uh, the solenoids that control movement and things, and it'll yeah. read where you're supposed to be. So, um, I don't have the room for that in my house, but I could. I, it, it's, it's. Another, I mean, like flying, it's another way to go broke as quickly as possible. <laughs> I, I the coolest sim I ever got to fly. Uh, me and my friend Tony uh, went to Pensacola, and uh, we got to fly the Tomcat sim. Oh, cool! And that, was, and I'm a Tomcat geek, so. Um, like literally we had studied the manual, the flight manual for the aircraft before we went down there and, uh, got a chance to fly it. You know, we, we had a, uh, a point and shoot camera that we, that would take video. And I remember we put it on the, on the front console of the windshield, you know, the aircraft. And, uh, we called that our HUD tape and, uh, <laughs> you know, but we, we got to fly a Tomcat sim, which was incredible. I mean, you're, I'm never going to get to fly a Tomcat. This is the closest I'll get, but it was the real deal sim. And the thing was, that was incredible. Uh, did, did, did the cable launch from the, from the, yeah, we did carrier? that. We did a cat, we did a trap. Um, wow. and I got a little cocky cause I actually, uh, uh coming into uh, to, the trap is the land uh, on an aircraft carrier. And, uh, was the I, pattern full? <laughs> I know. So, well, I actually managed to get it uh, onto the deck, which wow. I, was, I was pretty proud of. Um, but it was in a clear blue VFR day, and the uh. the folks running the uh, sim immediately uh, said, oh, okay, let's throw some other stuff at you. And uh, I died several times that uh, afternoon. 12-foot so, swells. And yeah, that was it. My pride <laughs> went right down the tubes after that first one. So. <laughs> Uh, wow. The one accurate thing about this, uh, this particular scene is they were running Sims like nonstop all day long, practice, 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 making sure they were, they were functioning as a team. And, uh, that's no joke, 48 hours before the, before the flight. Um, one, a little bit of license here from what I understand is the, uh, families didn't meet. There is no, there is no road that goes up to, uh, 
pad 39 at a right angle to the uh, to the launch pad as far you know back back then and there's they, they don't have passing and non-passing lanes on a road going to <laughs> going to to, the, to uh, pad, pad 39a um but from what i understand the uh, families and the the families and the astronauts themselves met on either side of a fenced off area in front of where the uh, where the astronauts stayed which was uh, back at the the astronaut uh, you know the crew quarter facility that's interesting i'd have to uh that's interesting i have to ask uh um frank about that because uh frank on his wall has a picture of him and uh, uh bill anders and jim lovell uh taken at night what looks like very similar to that scene in apollo 13 okay um and then the rockets lit up in the background and I'd have to ask him what the premise of that photo was. I, I don't know what it is. It wasn't a, pro- a professional photograph. It was. Uh, it looked like something that I had just assumed maybe it Susan had taken. It was. It was a snapshot. But I'd have to ask him what that was, or where it was, or why. But um, when we saw that photo, that was the first thing that popped on my head was that that scene. Was the scene, so, yeah. Um, I, I had been reading. Now, of course, it's not. It's not within my arm's reach. But I think this. Was, I was reading about it in this new ocean that they would meet across from the uh, the crew quarters. Interesting. And of course, later on they'd had uh, the quarantine was uh, was restricted to astronauts and their families, so they were they would get together and, and see people, and then I think the last seventy two hours they would be separated. Interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting. Uh, it's a beautiful picture. I mean, it's very cinematic. I like the uh, oh yeah uh, the view of it, and uh, I do remember back in the day when Apollo seventeen went off, uh, there were gigantic carbon arc lights aimed at the at the tower, and you could see it—it it was bright as bright as day over by uh, you could across the Indian River to Titusville. You could see the uh, the Saturn V just you know a glow, and you didn't it, it, during the daytime. People sometimes would ask you well, which which one of those towers has the rocket on it, but at night, if you know, it's the one with all the lights on it over there. <laughs> that had to be incredible. Did you watch Seventeen Go? Yeah, I watched I watched Seventeen Go. It was wow. a very I, it, it sounds unusual, but it's a very. It was a very cold night in Florida. I mean, it was. It wasn't freezing, but it was pretty close to it. It felt in the forties, and uh, of course, you know, we'd gone to gone to Florida, and you don't really bring a lot of winter clothes. I mean, I, I had winter clothes from driving down from New Jersey, but uh, you know, you don't expect to be wearing a, a, a hoodie when you're when you're out <laughs> exactly. when you're out in December in, in Titusville. But it was pretty biting cold. It was. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just a, a massive view. There were there were a lot of cars there. This was the only night launch of a Saturn V, so a lot of people wanted to see it. And it had originally started out, I think it was going to launch about 8 or 9 o'clock. And then they had some problems with uh, um, either the fueling or computer. I can't remember what, what the problem was, but the uh, they had delayed it another they – were, they were just coming up to the end of the window. And it was very late at night. It was, I'd say, around – Maybe ten or eleven o'clock at night that it, it finally launched. You know, you just you, you just kept looking at. It. We just kept going back into the car and sitting down and, and listening to the radio. Um, but it was, uh, you know, when finally it, finally they got down to that they were doing the two minute uh, warning and everybody just got outside and was looking across the Indian River. And it was uh, it was a little bit uh, not not cloudy but kind of hazy. But when it it got down to uh, you know they were doing ten nine and then the ignition sequence started. And you could see this kind of rumbling orange ball of gas. And then that ball of gas turned into just white, bright. I mean, it, it looked like one of those carbon lights. It was a brilliant 
light. It, it never really gets picked up on the uh, on pictures that, that on television. Like you always saw it as like kind of a yellow flame, right? But right. It, when you when you see when you see it, it's just brilliantly bright. I mean, it's like looking into a it's like looking into a welder's torch. It's just very like like uh, sometimes you'll see the uh, when you're watching a fireworks and you, they have those. Uh, cherry bombs that are built into the middle of it, and they'll go bang, bang. You see that white, like a flashbulb light. Right, right. That's what it looked like, but it stayed that bright. I mean, it was this brilliant white light going up into the sky. And when it started going up into the sky, you could see it was bright enough to see colors. I mean, there was a uh, there was a Howard Johnson's on uh, Route 1 in Titusville, and you could see that the roof was orange. That's how bright oh the gosh. light was. I mean, you could see... <laughs> You could see, uh, and, and when the thing took off, there were like birds that had been sleeping in the, you know, like uh, seagulls and stuff like that, and they all took off, and you could just see these shadows of, of seagulls flying all over the place. But it was, it was from Titusville. It was absolutely quiet, and you just saw this. Well, actually, it wasn't absolutely quiet because what you heard, you heard this roar like you're at a baseball game and you, somebody hits a home run and everybody yells. <laughs> and they all say the same thing, the most unnecessary thing in the world. They say, "Look at that." <laughs> <laughs> you see that? You see that? And uh, you know, it just went up, up, up into the sky, and uh, and then headed. You know, it, it headed straight away from where we were standing. It just headed due east. It, you know, it, you could see, you could see the the staging, and um, you know, and then the light just just it it fading. Just it, you could still see it turning into. It looked like about as bright as Venus, and then um, it faded into the haze. I, I wish I could see that again. But I, I mean, I have I've seen other rockets launch, but not. But one thing is, once the once it started turning, it, it had gotten supersonic, and by the time it had gotten supersonic and was was heading out uh, east, uh, that's when the sound hit. And the sound was this was this rumble like uh, if you've ever been to Chicago and you hear the Chicago L before the train comes and everything starts shaking. It's like that's that's the kind of sound that you felt in the ground and all around you and behind oh. us was uh, the jc penny's building and that was reflecting the sound back like maybe a a tenth of a second later so it, was, it would reverberate while it's and you could hear you could hear things shaking it you know and it excited the it excited the people watching the thing and it's just it was just one of the most amazing sights in my life and i've been to i've been to a lot of shuttle launches and things like that and they they were tremendously loud but never as loud as a Saturn V. Um, I'm, I'm hoping someday soon to go see a Falcon Heavy, and I hope it's as loud as a as a Saturn V because that was just the loudest thing I've ever heard. Um, it the best way the the way to understand the noise, like we were talking about with just a little while ago with fireworks, when you hear that uh, those M80s that are at the end, you know, you hear bang bang. Imagine that bang only it lasted three minutes long. Oh that's, my gosh, <laughs> that's what it sounds like, just bang and. Uh, it was it was something. It was really amazing, and I I see people that I think a lot of them are just kind of trolls and stuff. You'll see people that don't believe that you went to the moon, but when you when you saw Saturn V launch, you knew they were going somewhere far far away because that thing could carry you anywhere. I mean, it was just a it was an amazing piece of construction. Even seeing it now when it's you know hanging from the ceiling in Huntsville or Houston or, or down at the Cape, they were just incredible machines, and wow. uh, you're. I, I, one one of the things that I see in this scene where people are looking at each other and waving and smiling, every time, 
uh, I can remember. I mean, I, I only saw two Apollos. I saw Apollo 17 and Apollo 10. I saw Apollo 17 and Apollo 10 launch. And every time they were on the launch pad and they were exposed, people didn't even look at each other. They just looked at the Apollo because it was just such an incredible thing to see against the skyline. I couldn't imagine, you know, I, I saw the, I, I never saw one on the pad. However, down at uh, uh, Huntsville, they have a full-scale replica mounted vertically. Um, they have a real one displayed, uh, restored indoors, of course, but outside uh, they have a replica that they built. And um, it's incredible. I mean, even though it's a replica, you're just sitting there staring at it. And um, I, I, it's hard to explain, just... Uh, you know, being that close to something like that, uh, I couldn't imagine seeing one actually a live one. You know, out on the pad, ready to go to the moon. That that man, I can't. Uh, I'm actually really looking forward to the launch uh, uh, episode, so we can really geek out about the Saturn V. Oh yeah, yeah. No, we can. We'll go. To, we'll go to town on that. Yeah. yeah no and I mean, just just simple simple things like that. That 350 ton crane that's hanging off the side of the uh, launch umbilical tower there. I mean, it was, it's portable and it could carry 350 <laughs> tons. You know, it could pick a it could pick a locomotive up, <laughs> and, and and ten ten uh, locomotives underneath it, just uh, astonishing. But uh, anyway, this this is begin this this scene where you see uh, uh, Fred Hayes' twin boys uh, going up with Mary, and uh, they're waving at each other. We never see who's waving at uh, at Jack. Jack Swigert's kind of like nodding at people. We hear a couple of girls going Jack. <laughs> One thing that I'm kind of puzzled by is all those NASA guys are wearing hard hats. Why aren't the astronauts wearing hard hats? You know, I mean, it, you don't have a you don't have a thing where there's some people in hard hats and some people not. Everybody's in a hard hat or nobody's in a hard hat. Exactly. It's uh, just kind of a peculiar thing. The scene, from a cinematic point of view, it must have been incredibly difficult to light because you have to have the headlights on the cars and yet you still had to be able to uh, light up people's faces so they had to have all kinds of different different lights and uh you know key lights and fill lights and just just getting everybody light. i mean and those huge there's like arc lights behind them to get that 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 blue tungsten look well and then on top of it you've got a you know a green screen saturn 5 lit behind you yeah you, know, you see you have to tie that all into the green screen as well yeah and everybody know. has to be color matched so yeah. that it, you know it looks bad and they've got you know like the yellow from the headlights and the blue of the the carbon arc lights in the background plus you know lighting up the the grass behind it it's a, yeah. an amazing thing yeah it's a little scene that it, it, it's a it's a little beautiful scene actually that uh you know it's one that we probably take for granted when you're watching the whole movie but when you really get into what's going on there yeah it, that probably took a lot to do yeah and plus getting all those cool old cars there i mean i see that uh that ford mustang park there oh, yeah. and uh <laughs> is that a nova behind it i can't exactly tell what i thought there was like a nova a, or a chevelle or something in here i yeah. can't remember yeah yeah, and then there's a, I don't know, is that a Rambler? I can't, I can't really tell, but just some, uh, some beautiful cars, and, and a Galaxy. I see a Ford Galaxy 500 back there too. Oh yeah. Uh, just, Even uh, some of the NASA cars were cool at the time. You know, yeah. The the actual NASA vehicles were neat. Yeah, there's a there's a really cool. Uh, it's still today at, at Langley. Uh, there's a really cool Dodge uh, van that was. I think they bought it in 1961, and it's still running. And it's Jeez. it's painted up in NASA yellow, 
and it says, you know, NASA Langley Research Center on the side of it. It just looks like it reminds me of the Dharma van from Lost. It's just really just this <laughs> really cool early 60s thing. And they still have, you know, they keep they keep it's a it, basically it's a it's a toolbox on wheels. But it's such a it's such a cool looking thing and that it's still at Langley. It's just a That's just awesome. a nice a, a nice thing. Uh, but uh, anyway, great little great little minute to watch. It's very uh, reminiscent of the times, and uh, it just uh, it, it, it's just a, a nice piece of 1970. Um, and we're getting right at the very last second. We're getting a, a new visitor, but we'll we'll talk about uh, the new visitor tomorrow. Uh, for folks wanting to uh, join us uh, online, you can if you haven't heard any of our previous episodes, please go out to. Uh, uh, Apollo13minute.com, Apollo13minute.com. You can find previous episodes and summaries of those episodes. And uh, you can find future episodes there, too. Or if you don't want to do it manually, just go over to uh, uh, iTunes or Google Play, subscribe under uh, Apollo 13 Minute, and have this delivered hot and fresh every day. Uh, we are also available uh, in, on the social medias. We're available on Twitter at Apollo 13 Minute. You can also find us on Facebook at Apollo 13 uh, Minute Mission Control. So look for us there. We have get into a lot of discussions there. Uh, interesting times. So uh, join us here tomorrow. We'll see who the lovely lady is showing up to talk to uh, Jim Lovell. Uh, tomorrow uh, looks like, oh, we're coming up on uh, lost signal in about 30 seconds. So we'll see you tomorrow on the call 13. Mm-hmm.